0: One of the first steps into walking like Messiah walked is to walk in a freedom, because if we don't walk in freedom, um, it's going to be a real struggle to minister freedom to others. And we're all supposed to be a minister of freedom. So wherever you go, wherever you are in your workplace um, in you know, with your friends and family and in fellowship and in wherever with strangers, We are supposed to be ministers of freedom and, um, you know, what you bind on Earth is bound in heaven, right? So there's this connection between the spiritual and the physical realm. Whatever we are in bondage to in the physical realm, we are in bondage to in the spiritual realm. What I mean by that is if I am in bondage to uh, some addiction or, or whatever it is, I am going to struggle to minister freedom in the spiritual realm for that addiction to someone else. So it's a big deal It's very important. The demons know our bondages. So that means that we need to overcome them. We need to win so that they would know our that we've overcome because then they can be put in their place because they understand our authority because we grow in authority as we grow in freedom. There's a real connection. Yeshua could not be who he was and minister the freedom. He did if he was still deep entrenched in sin. But of course, he never was so. But he offers that freedom to all of us, that freedom from sin. It's not just a, uh, a, a philosophical idea, but a true, real freedom that we can all walk in if we uh, apply scripture to our lives. All right. So this is why general, generational curse is important to address because as we'll soon discover, um, these things can run really deep, um, even into our bloodlines. And so um, before I get into it, let me just say, I know there's a lot of books written about generational curses. I feel like there's so much information about it. And I feel also that sometimes um, things can get a little very, very complicated when it comes to this topic. I think it's very simple and we're going to keep it simple here. I think the scripture teaches simple principles that we can apply and um, we don't have to know every demon's name um, to get freedom. Let me say it like that. We just need the name of our father. We just need the name of Yeshua. And that means that uh, it's simple. So um, let's just dive into scripture um, as we begin here. Exodus 34 verse 6. This is probably the most famous scripture in our Bible regarding generational curses. And um, this is where God talks about it uh, probably the first time and we, we read the following. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. All right. So this is there's two very important principles, I think, in this text here, these two verses. The first is that the father is merciful. He is full of grace and that those who, who come to him in essence with repentant hearts, that is those who are turning from their sin. They are afforded great mercy. He, God says he's slow to anger. And, he, and all these things, he's abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. All these things he gives to those who are who come to him in repentance. But as for those who don't, that is what he describes as the guilty. He says he won't clear them. He says he visits the iniquity of the fathers on the children and their children and their children. To the third and fourth. Uh, third and fourth generation. And in some cases, I'm going to show you in a minute, even to the 10th. Okay, so um, this is important to to realize, Okay, there's this there's this there's this idea that our sin has an implication that is not just applicable to our lives. The consequences aren't just what we see here. And you may think, well, why? You know, I think one of the first uh, questions we can have is why? Could God allow our sin to affect our children and even their children? Like that seems that seems unfair, right? I want to submit to you that God knows more than we do. And I want to go into some of the reasons that are most likely for this. Um, now, I think it's important to understand so we can really understand why it's important, why generate generational courses is such a big deal. One of the first reasons is that Well, I think one of the most obvious reasons is that sin has a consequence. And this consequence, though, is not just for us, but it can span generations. So this can be in the most simple means of if a father is an alcoholic, um, his children is going to grow up in a home where their father was an alcoholic. He may even cause abuse. He may he may hit his wife. Um, he may uh, be abusive towards his children. Okay, there's these obvious consequences that we can think of, but these consequences go deeper than just that. Um, God knows that, and, and we ought to know that sin is generational. Okay, sin has these natural consequences that we just discussed, but it's much deeper in that it's the the the, the consequences of sin carry over deep, even into the, our very DNA, into our blood. And we're going to discuss that a little later. I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit about what we have even discovered in recent years within science regarding this. Not that science informs our, um, our our beliefs, but it is it's amazing to see how people have come even in the scientific community to realize, wow, do you know what what God actually said in the Bible this is true? Um, of course it is, but it's amazing to see. Okay, so the sin nature, right, in essence, that we have, and the, the or let me say the sin that we have, um, basically, it accelerates and uh, can I say encourages our sin nature. We all are born with this sin nature because of the fall, right? Where we have this tendency to want to sin. Um, our flesh wants sin. It wants to. Um, uh, do unhealthy things and unclean things and I don't know if you've ever realized but if you ever Do a fall into a sin a little thing here, right a little slip up You'll find yourself tomorrow slipping up easier and the day thereafter even easier. It's like this, you know It just it's like a snowball effect if sin isn't stopped in its tracks. It encourages more sin later Okay, so this means and this this really it becomes then a, a thing uh a, can i say a behavior that l- later starts becoming even entrenched deep into our very dna nature which then can can become carried over to the next generations even even affecting them this is why we oftentimes see fathers who are alcoholics um, having children who May even be grow may even grow up apart from that father, maybe that father divorced the mother early on and, and the child was never in that father's presence really or the the child was even given up to adoption, whatever the case, but that child may even still fall into alcoholism, the same sin that the father struggled with. I mean you may even think of this in your own families or people you know, of people who had sin and then their children had the same issues and especially um, things that are addictions, things like pornography, um, like I mentioned, alcoholism, a tendency to become a drug addict, that things like that very often and becomes carried over. Um, and, that, and now uh, the third reason I want to discuss on why um, there is this generation God is a, is a um, talks about generational curses is because God has a very generational outlook now. What do I mean by that is kind of simple. You might have seen this pattern throughout scripture of how God often looks at his people as a whole, as the big picture. He often talks about his people. Um, like, for example, he will say the we, we know the phrase the body of Christ, right? Because God is speaking to a group, a generation, if you will, of people. We have uh, more examples of this, for example, um, in. Uh, Deuteronomy one verse thirty five. I'll just read it here. It says, it, got, it says not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to give to your fathers. So God is speaking to this generation and he's saying this generation will not get will not inherit the land. Another example, Judges two verse ten and all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. So we have one generation who followed Israel another generation who didn't. God is looking at his people as a gener- as a generation. And so we also see this. while well, well, this well, this seems like, OK, God sees us as in a generation. Um, it don't think that there, God doesn't have grace on an individual. Right. There's this balance. God is just right. He he sees individuals, too. He sees we see in, for example, uh, Numbers 14, 23. um, And none of those who despised me shall see the land. Right. That's what he said. But then he says, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and he's followed me fully. I will bring into the land into which he went and his descendants shall possess it. Another example, Genesis six, verse nine. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Another example is Moses, how Moses stood before God and said, God, if you want to take them out, you need to blot my name out of the book of life. If you all recall. So and what God actually honored that God kept back his wrath from this generation because Moses stood in the gap, Moses interceded. So the reason I'm saying all this is because it's good news. It means that even if there is a generational curse on our family line, even if we had even if there were ten generations before you and your family line who went off track and rejected God and were pagans, if you come to him and you say, Lord, I want to follow you righteously. I want to follow you um, as I want to walk like Yeshua did. God will come and because of you, you as a one, even as one person, if you have a pure heart, God will relent and have mercy and steadfast love upon you and your family line. That is the descendants that will come after you so that is good news and we're going to talk soon a little bit about how that we can make that our reality how we can really let that happen um if any of you are you you may be thinking as i'm talking you know wow um this is running in my family right this issue is running in my family i have brothers or sisters who are off track doing this and that and their father or mother did the same you know think about these things as we go along all right um So uh, next, I want to just also mention uh, I mentioned a little bit earlier about even the 10th generation. So I want us to just realize also how serious this is, how serious God views generational curses, because we want to see things the way God sees things. We don't want to see things the way we think what, what seems right to us. I think we can all agree what is right to God is what is important. And so we want to discover how he sees generational curses. Deuteronomy 23 verse 2. I just want to read here. This is just an example here. And and God is here giving us a list of things of with regards to the temple. And he's telling us, you know, someone who has some a, a defect of this or that cannot come to the assembly. That is the temple. That's the context. And one of the things is the following. Deuteronomy 23 verse two, no one born of a forbidden union may enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the 10th generation. None of his descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like wow. Like if you were uh, here, right, even into the first century and you lived and you and there was a temple, there's an operating Levitical priesthood. And you were maybe you were born from a from a forbidden union. That is mom and dad came together, but they weren't married yet. That's what a forbidden union is. That means if you're born, you're the baby of that. You can't come near the assembly. You can't come to the temple. Not only that, if we go ten generations back and there was someone who was born from a forbidden union in your line and you are one of the children in that line. You can't come near the assembly of the Lord. I mean, that's just like, wow. Like, I don't know if you guys have ever read this, but it's like, wow. Like, the, this just communicates the seriousness of this thing. Because God is here showing us how serious it is. And, and now let's just be honest. Um, I don't know about you guys, but, um, well, most of us, even most of us sitting here would probably be, be disqualified from coming near this assembly already, because how many of us have someone on our line who was born from a forbidden union? OK, so we see now how God and, and why, why is this like God is he's saying, like, I am so holy, I am so perfect, I am without spot and blemish. And just because you have a little bit of this in your blood in your DNA, because the sin was in your family, even 10 generations later, you got a little bit of this in your blood. You can't come near my presence because you are unclean by that. That's basically what is being communicated. And it's like, wow. But there's good news. You see, the purpose of God's telling us this is he's communicating our need for a savior. He says, you have generational curses. You have big issues and you have a big problem because you can't come near me. But I'm going to make a way for you. I'm going to send my son to come and die for you, for your sins, to spill his blood, his blood that is clean without sin, without spot and blemish. So that you so that intercession can be made for your blood, which is full of sin, so that you can come near me. You see, brothers and sisters. Or, well, brothers, <laughs> the, the, the reality is, is that he is, Yeshua is the cure for every generational curse, all generational curses. He was sent as the Savior to redeem us from this hopeless state that I just described to you. Uh, one of the many hopeless states we might find ourselves in. Uh, Isaiah 1 verse 18. I just want to read this. This is the hope promised. It says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though, though they are red like crimson, they will become like wool. Look, when we when we come into covenant with him, we say, uh, Yeshua, come save me. Right. He comes and he, he, beca- he, t- he gives us salvation, all these things. And now we suddenly have converted because we say we follow him and we say we believe and we have faith and we are saved by faith. But of course, now what has to happen? Maybe not from day one, but what has to start happening is we need to start changing. You see, brothers, the problem is, is we can't stay the way we were as we were before. When we come to him, things need to start changing. I want to read to you Hebrews 10 verse 26. will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the son of God, profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and outraged the spirit of grace. Okay, so he talks about this thing called deliberate sin. And he says, if you continue in that while being in covenant, you're trampling underfoot this covenant that we have in Christ. You're trampling underfoot the son of God. And so there's this, there's this, there's this thing we need to audit our hearts in because we need to ask ourselves, are we in deliberate sin? Now, what is deliberate sin? Okay, because it's not all sin; it's deliberate sin. Because uh, we read in, in James that not if we say we're without sin, we're lying because we all make mistakes. We all um, fall short of the glory of God. But there's that, and there's deliberate sin. There's the sin which comes from either rebellion. It comes from I don't care maybe about God's instruction, or it may even just come from not taking um, what God said seriously enough. Whatever the motive, it's deliberate and it's different from an addiction in terms of where there's an addiction in the flesh, which we, um, which takes over us. For example, um, if you've ever spoken or known a drug addict, you'll know that it's not as easy as saying, well, stop doing drugs. Right? there is an addiction in the flesh. There is a, an, a, a power in there that their flesh has over them. That is not as easy as just saying no, because it's, it's much deeper than that. And so someone who is doing, going sending from that place, that's not deliberate sin. They may have a heart of being like, God, I don't want to do this. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. Help me to overcome this. And that's different. That's not deliberate. So we need to make sure that our heart is always in that place that if we do sin, we are in a place of a with a repentant heart. We're coming before him and saying, Lord, forgive me. Help me give empower me because brothers, he is our empowerment. You can't overcome sin on your own. He is the only uh, if, if if, if we could overcome sin on our own, we wouldn't need him. Then the solutions of the world would help. But it's not that way. We must do so by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what I just want to say by this is that we cannot remain in a sin covenant while trying to be part of Christ's covenant. Many of you may have been like part of a uh, maybe a a job. Maybe you, you sign up for a job one day and then you get a contract you need to sign, right? In that contract, there may be a line that says, I remember I had to sign a contract. that said, I'm not allowed to do work for anyone who has a conflict of interest with, the, with my company. Right? I'm not allowed to go work part time or full time for anyone who's doing the same kind of work. I want to say it's the same thing. You can't say, God, I want to be in covenant with you, but have covenants of sin in your life still. Covenants that you're making basically with the devil, because that's how we make covenants with the devil. It's because it's how it's through covenants of sin, through making through through doing sin in our lives. And that's a conflict of interest with the kingdom of God. God, You're going to struggle to be used powerfully by his uh, for his kingdom. If you are still serving the kingdom of darkness in this or that way in your life. So brothers, uh, brothers, this is why this is important um, for us to look at. Okay, so Yeshua, like I mentioned earlier, Yeshua shed his blood so we can have our blood clean, made clean and kept clean. Now, earlier, I I mentioned quickly about uh, generational curses and that how it it carries over to the next uh, generation. Now, I just want to share a little bit of while I have you guys here. I know some of us like love um, science and things like that. I mean, I love science because it uh, often it, it's, it's, it's wonderful. And obviously it's just so much more better when it teaches can teach us even more about God. And that's what I want to share with you today here. Uh, there's new science that came out uh, recent years, very new. That is actually showing the same thing with what the Bible has been teaching. What the Torah has been teaching all these years for thousands of years. Science calls it epigenetic modification. The Bible calls it generational curses. Okay, and basically what the science is teaching is they're coming to the conclusion that what we thought was always, you know, the lottery of life, you know, what you the genes you got and the things that you may um, suffer with or the things that may make you good or bad and other things, whatever is not just always to left to chance but that there's actually with some things there's more control than previously thought. And that is um, like I mentioned earlier, um, our parents or their parents basically made decisions that affect us today. I just want to read you this quite little snippet out of a um, uh, uh, article here. It says, for it seems that you might also be what your mother ate, how much your father drank and what your grandma smoked, Likewise your own children too may be shaped by whether you spend your evenings jogging worrying about work or sat on the snow f- on the sofa eating it and that nurture rather than our intractable nature may determine who we are far more than what was previously thought and in essence it's it's this idea I don't know if you can read this I know it's flipped around you turned out just like your father I don't know if you ever heard that phrase. Um, maybe you heard it from your mother telling you, or maybe you thought it yourself after doing something that you remember your dad doing too. OK, this is what we're talking about. Those things can be good things. They can also be bad things. OK, so in essence, to understand this, we need to understand that we in our, our blood. You know, the Bible teaches that the life is in the blood. What does that really mean? It's kind of like. What is that? Oh, there's there's life. It's like there's something about the blood. That's very important. God says don't drink the blood, right? It, he stresses it over and over from the Torah into our New Testament all the way through, you know, into the book of uh, Acts 15. Like they're telling these Gentiles, don't watch out, don't eat the blood like don't eat that. So there's this big deal about blood. We need to understand like our blood well let me let me explain like this i know some of us we're familiar with how computers work right we have a computer that's made up of out of hardware right it's got the parts it's the thing that sits on your desk and then we have software that's the program that you're running on the computer right and you know sometimes technology is technology as we all know it gets buggy It, it just bombs out and it doesn't work the way it's supposed to Usually it's because the software has bugs. It's because something is wrong in the software and that causes our computer hardware to not perform as it's supposed to. It not it's may not even perform at all. And that's how it is with our DNA. Our DNA that which is in our blood is like the software to our hardware that is our body, okay? And so because of that Oftentimes what goes wrong is actually in the software, and that's actually what causes our hardware, our body to start um, manifesting problems, if you will. So um, basically when something dramatic happens in our life, whether that's environmental, maybe a traumatic event, someone dies near you, maybe there is abuse, you were abused. whatever something dramatic happens in our environment or maybe um, um, the uh, decisions we make. So in other words, we decide to make to, to sin, whatever, okay these big these beha- our behavior in, in essence shapes our DNA. This is what they're finding today. It's quite amazing because what they find is that chemical markers or tags are released when we make, when we have a a, a repetitive behavior or anything like that. And it attaches itself. These chemical tags attaches itself to our DNA. And it's like switches that basically mute parts of our DNA, which can basically um, accentuate or mute certain parts of our DNA. Okay, so this is all just like science talk, right? What does this mean? It simply means that there are like switches in your DNA that can be turned on and off based off the decisions that you can make. And these can be, like I mentioned, good and bad things. Bad things, for example, like it can even uh, contribute to the development of cancers, criminal tendencies, sleep disorders, bad habits like smoking, drinking, porn addictions, drug addictions, etc. The list goes on. Okay. I'm quoting things now that the scientific community is coming to. We don't have to know that the science is teaching this. The Bible has been teaching this all along, but it's amazing because they're finding the same thing. And so the Bible calls basically in essence is is, teaches us regarding this. And it's called blood covenants as well. You know, um, so when we sin, it goes into our blood. Okay. Um, If I I watch porn continuously, I will turn a switch on in my blood, in my DNA, which in essence will be maybe carried over to my children when they are born. If I did not overcome that addiction. If you overcome the addiction, that switch is turned back off. And when your child is born, they won't be born with the same tendency. That they might have had if you haven't overcame that porn addiction this is why this is so important this is why god stresses generational curses why he talks about it he says the things that you do will impact the second to third generation and even in terms of that temple of that unholiness in the blood even to the 10th like we just read there but god tells you i give you uh, an empowerment. I, I offer you this this choice, this empowerment by my Holy Spirit to set you free, so that you can be free, so you can be a minister of freedom, and so that your children can be born free, not with the same issues that you were. Brothers, you may have been born with an issue because your dad or or his dad did something wrong, but you have the power to stop. Just like Moses stood up and said, no more. I want this to stop just like uh, Noah was chosen because he was the only one in his generation. He was chosen and he became a basic a, a way for the world, for mankind to be saved in a way, right, because this generation was preserved, his people, his family. And the same way you can be that person to your line that that says, I will let it stop here and here today. Okay, so in essence, how this is done is the cross because Yeshua's like I mentioned earlier, his death, um, his his blood was perfect. His blood was without um, spot or blemish. And because it was now when we accept him as our Lord and savior and when we let his Holy Spirit convict and change us right as law in our heart. Now, what can happen is he basically gives his attributes, the attributes that run through, run through his veins. That's in his blood. His can I even call it his pure DNA becomes ours. He gives it to us. That's why he says you need to be born again. Why? Because you need new blood. You need to become a new creation all from the beginning. You need to be born from him. You need to be in him because then. You can now manifest his character because you have him in you. So the bad news, okay, like we mentioned, is your your grandfather, your great grandfather, whoever, okay, your your dad made decisions that may be affecting you today. But the good news is is that there is salvation, and his name is Yeshua. So, in a way, you can think of it that you are like a co-programmer with God of your genetic code. And that everything that's may happen to your children is not comp- There are things that are out of our control, of course, and, but there are things that aren't. How 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 long they may live may even be in your control, brothers, because we the, the science have even shown that there is lifespan. This affects the lifespans of people. If there are people who have an um, uh, let's just say your dad was an alcoholic or, or whatever, all his life. And you're born from that, that can affect your lifespan or your children's lifespan. If you are an alcoholic. Okay. I'm just making some examples here. So we can just realize that what I'm talking about here is important. Okay. So, um, before we talk about how we now bring this change, what are the steps practically, I just want to also say that there's also this notion out there, this idea that if you have an issue, you know, if you have been addicted to pornography for a long time, you've struggled with alcohol, you've struggled struggled with some drug, or okay, insert your blank, insert insert the sin here that you have may have in your mind, whatever. Um, people, some people think that that will always be a part of you, that will always be. Um, something that you'll just have to deal with. Okay. And I, I just, I just want to say, like, I, I don't know because God, he comes and he says, look, I'm going to give you a new identity. I'm going to make you a son of God. That's who you, that's who you are. A son, not a sinner, a son. We were sinners, but now he's making us a saint. A son, he's saying, I want to give you a new identity. You're not a drug addict anymore. You're not a pornography addict or a whatever. I am making you a son when that you all know the story of the prodigal son. When that dad welcomed his son home, he wasn't saying, oh, my son, who dwell with the pigs, welcome home. No, he's saying, welcome, my son. Because if we always look at ourselves through the lens of our sins, how will we ever become what, how God sees us? Okay, if we are, it is good to, see, to notice when we sin. It's good to repent. It's good to know of our sins, of course. But it is another thing to continuously dwell and look upon our sin. Let me say it like this. If God is coming into the room, if he walks into the room and he is in your presence, he is right here in front of you. I promise you, you're not thinking about your sin. I don't care how addicted you are. I don't care. You're not thinking about sin because his presence, his light is here. And because his light is here, all the darkness, all the sin, it can't have any place. I bet try. Try watching pornography while praying to Yeshua. Try drinking while well, praising God, OK, when or, or falling on your face and, and worshiping him, like try doing it. You, you will really struggle to do these things in his presence because his presence brings conviction of sin and his presence br- brings that holiness. And because we see him, we don't want any of that anymore. But if we're not in his presence, but we're looking at our sin all the time for good or bad, we're looking at it, but we're not in his presence. Yeah, you're going to look at it and you're going to drive right into it. It's like when I don't know if you've ever if any of you have driven a a bike, right? And you're you're driving that bike and you see a rock on the road. You know, if you look at that rock, you're going to hit it. Don't look at the rock. Look, you look kind of just in in the general area and you'll be able to outmaneuver it. Right. It's the same thing. But if you look at Christ, you can be free. So. None of this talk of, oh, this is you're always going to be an addict. No, this is not always going to have to be a part of you unless you want it always to be a part of you. I can I can tell you guys myself. I remember many years ago, I I struggled with uh, pornography myself. Um, And I remember one day I was so, uh, you know, I've, I've said sorry to God before. Oh, God, I'm sorry. And I just do it again. Oh, God, I'm sorry. And I just do it again. And it's kind of like whatever. But then I received a revelation. God came and gave me, gave me a revelation of how serious my sin was and how he really, truly saw it. And once I could see the sin for what it was through his eyes, I actually I remember I had a day of a true repentance, a day of like, wow, like God, this is what it is. I remember crying in repentance. I remember begging him to forgive me. I remember there was something different in that repentance. And that day I dropped it Called turkey. I never looked at pornography again after that day. And I never and look, was I ever tempted again? Oh, of course. But there's a difference between being tempted and falling into that temptation, falling into that sin again. Yeshua himself was tempted. There's not we will all be tempted, oftentimes tempted in many things. But what do you do with that temptation? Will you be like him in the wilderness to say no, or will you fall for the enemy? So, what is the solution to our generational curses or our issues? Obviously, it's Yeshua. But there is there is a pattern laid out in the gospel that is called the gospel. That is that is what we ought to follow. And you might know it, but I want to say this again because there may be a step you've missed. Um, we all know that it starts with belief. We all know it starts with belief and ask him into your heart, of course, wonderful. But then we have repentance. Repent there's no belief, true belief, if you don't have repentance. True repentance and resent being sorry for your sin. Okay? And then we have shortly thereafter. Baptism in water. Not six months thereafter, a day, two, a week, two weeks thereafter. Shortly thereafter. Think about the eunuch on the road. He was baptized right there. What forbids me from being baptized? Nothing. Get baptized. Boom, right there. Because the moment you repent, baptism follows. That's the next step. Thereafter, well, we have baptism in water and then we have baptism in the Holy Spirit. Okay, that is the Holy Spirit has to come and fill us up. There is a difference. Baptism and water and baptism, in the Spirit is not always the same thing. It would be wonderful if it always was, but it wasn't always. Even in scripture, we read about how the disciples traveled to people who in the book of Acts who said, we haven't heard about the Holy Spirit yet because they were baptized in water. But the Holy Spirit didn't come yet, so they wasn't—they weren't baptized in the Holy Spirit yet. But then it did come. They didn't hear about Holy Spirit. The disciples came and said, "Hey, here's the Holy Spirit. You guys didn't know about this. Let me baptize you in the Holy Spirit," and they got baptized in Spirit after baptism in water. So it's important to get both because as they got baptized in the Holy Spirit, they spoke in tongues, they prophesied, they had manifestations of spiritual giftings. Okay. What often accompanies this time in in our lives? And it may be when you get baptized, maybe 10 years later. But the sooner, the better. We ought to get deliverance from any demonic oppression that we may have. You may not have it, but you may have it. So it's important to really ask the father to show if there is any demonic strongholds in our life, anything that may have happened before he came to Christ many people who dabbled in witchcraft almost all of them have demons that come and infiltrate them and then they will sometimes need deliverance therefrom. so that's important renewing of our minds is next and this is when within scripture we find revelation that convicts us of sin righteousness judgment it brings us closer to him. And you guys all know this. But I want to stress that if you have no off, if you don't often read the scriptures and study it, you will struggle to hear his voice. And with that comes prayer. I want to remind you about the Garden of Gethsemane. Yeshua told his disciples pray because he was afraid that they may fall into temptation. And they did. Peter rejected Messiah. That was his temptation they, they all fled like, you know, sheep who had no shepherd. They all scattered. They they weren't bold because they slept when they were supposed to pray. In the same way, if, if you don't have a prayer life, you will not be able to overcome the temptations that will come. So it's very important, brothers, for us to make sure that we daily, more than once a day, come to your father and pray, and especially in those times where you feel tempted. Yeshua fell tempted and then he went to the garden to pray. In the same way, when you feel like a sinner's at the door, you get on your knees, get in, go to a room, close the door behind you, get on your knees, on your face before the father and pray, because then that sin won't be able to overcome you. All right. Um, and of course, the last thing I just want to mention, and I, th- and I know you all know this is, is fellowship and all of you here. So I don't I'm, I'm preaching to the choir for that one. So. So brothers, we have this salvation in Messiah and we cannot be free from every generational curse, you may feel like. Yeah, but that's not really the push that I, I don't I don't I don't know, because there's something still missing. I want to give you an example here and I want you to when I tell you this, I want you to take any sin that you may have in your mind. Maybe this is for you, maybe your kids. OK, wh- whoever this may be applicable to um, And I want you to insert it into the blank into the story that I'm going to tell you now. I'm going to use the example of pornography because I think it's very common. Statistically, it's many of us. Okay, Um, so if I told you that upon watching pornography again, if you the next time that you go and you look upon that, if I told you that the next time you did that, your wife and all your children will immediately die. Will you do it again? Now, most of us would probably say no, hopefully, because we can't fathom the idea of losing them, especially for something that we did because of our selfishness or lust or whatever, something that one of our sins. But now let me say, but now think on this. If you are if you are presently struggling with a sin like that, that has you really have you captive. And you're really doing this thing often. And at the same time, you do believe in Messiah. You believe in Yeshua as your savior. What you are, you may not know it, but what you're really saying is that you love your family more than Yeshua. Yeshua said in the book of Luke that whoever does not hate his mother and father and brother, for uh uh, cannot be my disciple and what he means is is simply compared to the love you ought to have for me they're not even supposed to be on the map you ought to love me so much that if it meant that you need to deny everyone that you'll be willing to deny all of them to follow him that's what he's the point is right doesn't mean we actually hate anyone that's not what we ought to do he doesn't teach that But he's trying to teach us about how our priorities ought to be. Now, if if you are willing to call Turkey, quit your sin so that your family will not die, how can you not call Turkey want to leave your sin? If your sin is the thing that put Messiah on the cross because he did die for it. If if no one else had sin on this planet, But only you did. He would still die for it. And he still did. So think on this. We, in essence, are saying then, Yeshua, you died for me, but I love this sin. So I love this sin a bit too much. See, we have to be careful. This is really what he is also talking, what was written to us in Hebrews 12. And he's saying, uh, we read, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. But he did. Think about that. Yeshua did. He shed his blood to the point for, for dying for us. But we don't, of course. Verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fo- fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by many become defiled and that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that after ha- afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. So, brothers, today we are sitting here, we all have breath in our lungs. We and if, and if you have something on your mind that the father has convicted you of while I was speaking now, I want you to take it very seriously. Because I don't want you. I want you to heed this warning from the scriptures where it talked about Esau. And it said, you know, at Esau, he made a decision, a bad decision. And when he tried to repent, it was too late. Even though he cried, even though he was sorry, it was too late. And so Messiah himself said, many will weep. Many will be sorry, but it will be too late. And so with our sin, we need to take our sin so seriously. We need to make sure that when we come before the Lord, we are clean. He has given a spirit that will empower us to be clean. So let's take a grab a hold of it. Okay. I just want to pray regarding this quickly for us all. Okay. So, Father, Lord, I just thank you, Father, for, Lord, I know this word is hard. Father, I thank you that you gave this word, that you spoke it. Lord, and I pray, Lord, that you would come and just convict our hearts of it. Any place in our life where sin has taken a hold, where we've allowed it in without uh, even uh, considering its consequences for our descendants or even our own lives or or our wife or anyone around us. Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you would come, Lord, and forgive us Lord. we come right now. and We ask, Father, forgive us of this sin, Lord. Lord, we pray, Father, that you would uh, enable us. To stand firm in the hour of temptation. Like you told your disciples, Lord, we desire to not sleep, but be awake. Father, help us to be awake. Lord, come and deliver us. Come into our hearts. Come into, and Lord, deliver our, us from any um, generational curses, God, that is t- trying to take a hold in our lives. Father, any kind of hook of the enemy that he's trying to put in our flesh through our family lines or whichever way. God, I thank you. It doesn't matter because you brought the solution and the cure. God, I thank you, God, for your your blood that purifies in the name of Yeshua. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for deliverance and freedom at the sound of my voice. We command every spirit, every unclean spirit of pornography lust, to go in the name of Yeshua. Lord, we command every spirit of alcoholism to go. In the name of Yeshua, Lord, I thank you for every drug spirit in the family to go in our children to go in the name of Yeshua. Lord, I just pray right now, Father, for um, any root of bitterness, Lord, because that's a a, that's a thing that can be inherited to bitterness. We have can have parents that were bitter and we are bitter too, Lord. We we repent from bitterness, God, and we ask for forgiveness and we ask for 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 um, delivering us. And helping us to forgive our enemies. The name of Yeshua. Amen.